Now, I just want to uh, put in a clarification as well. It's right to want to please God. Okay, it's right to do good to want to please God. It's right even to be motivated by things like storing up treasures in heaven. The Bible even talks about rewards for us as Christians. But it's very different to that's very different to doing good things to get God to accept you, to justify you. When you're already accepted because of God's mercy, like the tax collector, then as his child, it's right to want to please God. He even holds out rewards for us as Christians. But that is not what was motivating the Pharisee. That's different to the Pharisee. He did good because he was confident that if I do this stuff, then God would love me. Then God will accept me. So this whole idea of self-justification, self-righteousness is about being confident in our own moral goodness that God will accept us. But when we do good, once we're accepted to please God, that is a good thing. That's a little clarification. So we've got to start where the tax collector starts, with this kind of raw honesty about ourselves. We are morally bankrupt. We've got nothing in the goodness bank. We've got no reason for God to be so impressed that he'll accept us. No reason for others to be impressed by us. And when we get that, like the tax collector gets it, we realise what we need is mercy. Mercy. Mercy is when God doesn't treat us like we deserve. He doesn't punish us like we deserve. But he gives us forgiveness, love, acceptance, simply by, well, what does the tax collector do? Just crying out for it. Crying out for it. So that's what you've seen so far. But I want to know... What happens next to the tax collector? In this little story that Jesus tells of these two people, what happens in the tax collector's life? Because we're told he went home justified. But then what do you reckon he did when he went home? What was his life like? Did he move forward in Christ-likeness? Did he pack up his tax collector business? Now he's justified What's his Christian life look like? What's his motivation? So we've seen in the Pharisee bad motivation for obedience to God. But we haven't really nailed what good motivation looks like yet. We've seen the tax collector cry out for mercy. That's how you get right with God. But what does right motivation in the life of this now justified tax collector look like? Well, Jesus does something which has been blowing my mind over the last few weeks. He goes from this imaginary story about a Pharisee and a tax collector. And just on the other page, he goes to a real life tax collector. In whom we see him receiving mercy and we also get to see what happens next. We get to see him move forward. So we're looking over now at chapter 19, the story of Zacchaeus. Quite famous little tax collector. Ah, interesting. There he is, just after the story of the imaginary tax collector. We get a real one. So let's see what happens in his life. How does he move forward? What's his motivation? Let me read. Luke 19, verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And a man there by the name of Zacchaeus, a, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, not just a tax collector, a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. 
When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's going to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man, Jesus turned for himself, came to seek and to save the lost. Okay, let's have a look at the story and see what we learn about a new motivation. First thing we get is this is an appointment with mercy. So you get Zacchaeus, he's a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. You probably talked about this in your study, but tax collectors were sinners because they were known for siphoning off money for themselves, essentially robbing their own people and not only giving it to the Romans, but keeping money for themselves. So he's wealthy off stolen money, essentially. So he's, he's a chief bad dude. Verse three, he wanted to see who Jesus was though. But he's a little guy, <laughs> can't see over the crowd and so he climbs up the tree and he wants to see Jesus he wants to see him he wants to see Jesus but who sees who have a look at verse five who sees who when Jesus reached the spot hmm I thought verse one he was just passing through anyway when he reached the spot he looked up Ah. I said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Zacchaeus is on the lookout for Jesus. But Jesus stops, looks up, and starts speaking to Zacchaeus. It's not that Zacchaeus goes, uh, Jesus, hello, I'm up here. Oh, oh, hi, Zacchaeus, I must come to your house. No, Jesus stops. There you are. I'll come to your house. Calls him down, and in a rush he comes down. Jesus has an agenda. Do you see it? And he says, oh, oh, you know, Zacchaeus, I'd really like to come. No, I must stay at your house today. Do you see the appointments that he has? Zacchaeus doesn't know it. Jesus stops, looks up. It's in the diary, Zacchaeus. I'm coming to your house today. Jesus is on a, on a mission to Zacchaeus. And in verse 10, he tells you, tells us the bigger mission that Zacchaeus is part of. Verse 10, the son of man came... And we've just seen him do it, to seek and to save the lost. Jesus, we've just seen it, he sought out Zacchaeus, didn't he? There you are, I'm coming to your house. What did Zacchaeus do to deserve that? Tax collector, nothing. Yeah, he's kind of interested to see who Jesus is, but there's a whole crowd of people who are interested in seeing who Jesus is. But Jesus has come to him. Jesus has come to him in mercy, unprovoked, undeserved. Zacchaeus, chief sinner, I'll come to your house. And you know when Jesus is being really merciful, because people start grumbling. It always happens. When Jesus starts being gracious and kind, people get mad about it. Verse 7, when people saw this, appointment with mercy they start muttering he's gone to be the guest of a sinner mercy is always too radical for people to handle but but he doesn't deserve jesus to come to his house that's the point 
Man, I like it. So in mercy, we've just seen Jesus do everything to come to Zacchaeus and to go and be his friend and eat in his home. So back to what I asked at the beginning, what, what happens to the tax collector? Having had this appointment with mercy, just like the tax collector in the story before, do you see how it's kind of the same? What happens next? What happens next? Uh, let's have a look at verse 8. Uh, so they grumble. Verse 8, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Do you see the radical change that takes place in Zacchaeus's life? Here's the principle I want us to take away tonight. Self-justification suffocates Mercy motivates. Self-justification suffocates. Mercy motivates. Let me explain what I mean. The motivation to do good things, the motivation of impressing God to accept us, and the motivation of being better than everyone else around us produces less obedience than the motivation of encountering the mercy of Jesus. Do you remember the Pharisee back in the parable that you just read? He thought himself more obedient to God than the tax collectors, didn't he? Specifically that tax collector. I'm more obedient than them. Because I I give how much? How much did he give? Someone shout it out. Tenth. I give a tenth of all I have. A tenth was what the law required. Well done, Pharisee. But Zacchaeus, he's different. Having encountered the undeserved mercy of Jesus just coming into his life, he spontaneously gives how much? Half his possessions to the poor. And he pays back anybody who he's cheated out of money, makes restitution. But he doesn't just make it right. How much does he give back? Fourfold. What he's taken from them. So the Pharisee, motivated by wanting to earn God's approval, self-justification, and to feel good, musters a little 10%. But this tax collector is so bowled over by Jesus, coming to him. He's so aware of how awful he is and now how loved he is by Jesus. He gives far more generously than the Pharisee. Mercy motivates more obedience, do you see? He moves forward and he is propelled by the mercy of Jesus that he's encountered. That's his motivation. And Jesus tells us what has happened to motivate it. Verse 9, salvation has come to this house. Salvation has come. He's a child of Abraham. Salvation has come. He knows he's unworthy of Jesus. And Jesus has come to him. He's brought forgiveness. For all his sin, justification before God, complete new relationship with God, a new identity, a child of Abraham, that means in the family of God. And Jesus came to seek and save him. And now look at his life. He's moved forward. He's really moved forward. Self-justification as a motivation actually squeezes obedience. But an encounter with the mercy of Jesus 
sets it free. Let me give you an illustration. I, I was prepping this talk. I went to a cafe and came across this tip jar. If you can't see it, it says, fill up your karma here. And I said to the waitress, interesting motivation to give you a tip. Very interesting. Karma, if you don't know what it is, is the kind of Buddhist idea of if you do good, good will happen to you. If you do bad, bad stuff will happen to you. Fact. I um, When I was at uni, um, I was chatting with this uh, student friend of mine about Christianity and I was telling him what I believe. And I said, oh, what do you believe? He's like, oh, I trust in karma. And then he tripped over. <laughs> I was like, what do you do to deserve that? Anyway, it's quite funny. Um, but here it is. Here, give generously into our tip jar because you can fill up your karma. You can give good and the universe will give good back to you. And it got me thinking, which will make me a more generous tipper? A sense of fear and self-serving that if I pay, then the universe will be good to me. If I don't give generously, the universe is going to make me trip up or something. Will that make me generous? Or if I've enjoyed a really good coffee and have service that is above and beyond what I expect, which one's going to make me a more generous tipper? I tip generously when I've been served well. When I'm amazed at how well they've treated me. But if I'm motivated by guilt, you know they can't, You know when they put the service charge on the bill already, they've already taken it out, and you're like, you know, do you want to do... And you're like, mm, I guess I should. Sometimes we tip out of kind of social pressure and the fact that the waitress is standing there. <laughs> and we do just enough to make them go away. But if you ever, ever chipped generously, it's when it's just been brilliant, when you've loved it. And that's why the Pharisee is less generous. He treats God kind of like karma. If I do this, then he'll accept me. And so he just does enough that he needs. He's got the wrong motivation. We'll do just enough to feel good. We'll do just enough to feel better than those other people. So we'll do less. But Zacchaeus, he's encountered the radical mercy of Jesus. And that motivates him to be radically merciful and kind. So when we're stunned that Jesus has come to us, not just come to our house, but come to die on the cross for us, to make us God's children, when we see that and drink deeply of that, then we'll be motivated to move forward, to live for him and say, like Zacchaeus, Lord, you're my king now. I want to live for you. Our obedience doesn't need to be suffocated. And maybe this is you. Our obedience doesn't need to be suffocated by the fear of God's rejection. Or the court of human approval. If you live life fearful that if you don't do enough, God might not accept you. That will suffocate your obedience. That is not the mercy of God. And if you live life thinking, what are those people going to think of me? What are people at church going to think of me? That will suffocate your obedience. But an encounter with Jesus changes us. Because an encounter with Jesus does several things. When we have Jesus come to us in mercy, one thing it does is it makes us confront our sin. Jesus exposes our sin. An encounter with Jesus reveals how powerless we are to clean ourselves up. An encounter with Jesus stuns us with his radical self-sacrifice. An encounter with Jesus takes away the pressure of needing to perform because now we're accepted 
An encounter with Jesus means we call him Lord. We give our lives for him. You're the boss now. Not motivated by fear, not motivated by pride, but motivated by the mercy of Jesus every day. And some of us really struggle to be motivated by anything other than guilt and fear and pride when we're doing well. And if, if that resonates with you, that mainly mo- you're mainly motivated by guilt, oh, maybe God will accept me. Fear. Oh no. Pride. Hmm. Have you lost sight of Jesus and his mercy for you? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to put yourself in the tree. A sycamore fig tree. You might not be short, but imagine it. Put yourself in that tree. And you look at your life, look at your heart, look at your sin. We think Jesus must be walking away from us, disgusted, hurrying past the tree, just passing through. But do you see? Jesus isn't walking away from you. He's walking towards you in mercy to the spot. He came to Zacchaeus. He stopped, he looked up, he sought and he saved him. Do you see... Do you think Jesus is walking away from you right now? Because if you think he's walking away from you in disgust, what you'll do is you'll try and do good to get his attention. Jesus, look, look, I'm really good, really, I am. Or do you see that in mercy he's come to you, he's found the spot, stopped, he's looked up and said, I'll come to your house. I want to know you. That's the encounter with Jesus we need. That's the encounter with Jesus we get when we open our Bibles each day, when we come to church, when we come to focus. That's what will motivate our obedience. Lord, here and now, I want to live for you. So I want to turn now in your groups. Bring everything that you've learned tonight um, in prayer. Confess where we get our motivation wrong. Guilt, fear, pride, self-confidence. Let's cry out to mercy, know that God loves to give it. Let's pray for a new motivation. Motivated by Jesus' mercy, say, you're my Lord now. I want to live for you because of what you've done.